the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney, and I'm also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you in the past, I must be crazy because I went to law school for a really long time. That is to say, in addition to my JD, I have a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. Now, because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observations, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance, and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. I also practice the related fields in my overall consumer and small business practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trust, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference point, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last nearly 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And as I've shared with you before, I am the only eternal military brat on the planet. And uh, also, I helped create another generation uh, with my former spouse, who is also in the military. As such, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And I'd love to talk about my sweeties. And that's because I had the great fortune to spend a lot of time with and actually become great friends with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, both of whom survived the four great economic challenges of the last century, including the Great Depression, World War II, and the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through and to our society today. And as these women helped raise me and they 
always loved me even from afar. And they shared with me the great stories about their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South. It is out of my great love and respect for these women who were always with me in spirit, along with my dad, urging me on to do the right thing, that when the situation is right, I am sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and the disabled who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately more and more, the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse and adult abuse uh, that's running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof or at least an insufficient amount thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to know and consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your family's or your business's financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange Change of information to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances or your assets or your debt. So, continuing our discussion on the debt ceiling and the implications if we breach it, I have a question. Can we avoid a default without raising the debt limit? Well, first, the Treasury has the authority to mint a platinum coin of any domination. And Secretary Yellen could, in theory, authorize a $1 trillion platinum coin and deposit it at the Federal Reserve Bank, with the coin being used to meet our debt obligations. Notably, however, she has previously dismissed this idea as a gimmick. Secondly, there is the possibility of a procedure called a discharge motion that I introduced last week. In that instance, in Congress, it could be used to lift the debt ceiling. This would circumvent the usually needed approval process for any bill to pass uh, the Congress. And that means that it first has to go through the applicable House Finance and or Budget Committee, and the chairs have to bless it and it has to be voted out of the committee, and it has to go to the Speaker in order to be introduced onto the floor of Congress. However, if you utilize the discharge motion, it's a way to circumvent this process by having, say, the Democratic Party figure out how to reach out to the some a handful of Republicans who think it's a bad idea to not allow the debt limit to be lifted. 
so we can pay our bills. Now, in order for this to happen, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries and his troops will have to start to work on that process right now, as it will take a couple of months to handle the coordination amongst the Democrats and to perform the necessary outreach to the handful of Republicans needed to reach the required 218 votes to move the discharge motion and get it approved on the floor. Now, there's a third way, too. The president could ignore the debt limits altogether in order to challenge the constitutionality by relying on his Article 2, Section 1 powers, along with his duty to support the public debt clause found at Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, which states the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. But neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States or any claim for the loss or emancipation of any slave. But all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void. And that's the complete reading of Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, because you have to remember the context. It ended the Civil War, and it was attempting to hold those that um, fought against the Union from being able to come back later and press for the repayment of their debt, the debts of the Confederacy. And if you also see, they couldn't charge the government with the loss of their slaves. So I'm going to continue on here. Some historians and legal scholars believe that the juxt of the Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, that Congress has already undertaken and completed the budgetary process outlined in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, which gives Congress the sole authority to raise taxes, pay debts, and borrow on credit, and has already won authorized expenditures through the current fiscal year of the beginning, which starts in September, but we're in the current fiscal year of 2023 and has nonetheless, too, imposed a ceiling on the debt that is insufficient to finance all the authorized expenditures. Under these constraints, an argument can be made that the competing authority between the constitutionally mandated taxing and spending provisions in Article 1, Section 8 impedes the clearly articulated requirement pursuant to Article 2, Section 1, that the President of the United States perform his oath and obligation that he faithfully execute 
the office of the president of the United States and will, to the best of his ability, uh, preserve, protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, including the public debt clause of Section 4 of the 14th Amendment. And by submitting to the strictures uh, uh, of the artifice of the Liberty Bond Act of 1917, which created the debt ceiling as a measure to let then President Woodrow Wilson spend money he deemed necessary up to eleven and a half billion dollars to prosecute World War One. That should not be a bar from the president fulfilling his obligations under the Constitution. So. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion on the ramifications of the president possibly using Article 2, Section 1, his powers under there to get the debt ceiling raised, if needs be. But first, we'll take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on the ramifications of having the president use his Article 2, Section 1 powers to get around the Congress's dilly-dallying and not raising the debt ceiling that we need to have raised to pay our bills. And again, if the president finds that he needs to do this because the Congress won't move. We must consider that the debt limit or debt ceiling is not the limit on spending. It is, however, instead a limit on the borrowing authority of the federal government. Again, it represents the total amount the Treasury a department of the executive branch that comes under the auspices of Article 2, the president. And that, again, that's the amount that the Treasury Department is authorized to borrow to meet the delta between what our government raises in taxes and fees and what our financial obligations require require us to outlay to pay the bills for goods and services we've already acquired, but has not as yet paid for by placing the check in the mail. Said another way by Jamil Bowie in his opinion piece uh, in the New York Times entitled, You Can't, You Can Let Republicans Destroy the Economy, or you can call their bluff. And it was published in the New York Times on January 20, 2023, wherein he states, the Constitution directs the president to take care that the laws be faithfully executed, which is generally understood to be an affirmative duty to carry out the law as written. When Congress authorizes a budget, the president is obligated to fulfill the terms of that budget once he signs it into law. If Congress tells the president to spend $50 billion on a new program through the Department of Health and Human Services, he must spend $50 billion on a new program through the Department of Health and Human Services. He can't decide on his own to cut the program and spend, say, $40 billion instead. 
or increase it by spending $60 billion on a larger program and raise the taxes to cover the difference. Now, just to provide a little bit more context, I'd like to share with you an essay by Eric Fruner entitled, The Constitution Has a 155-Year-Old Answer to the Debt Ceiling, and it was published in the New York Times on January 23, 2023. Mr. Fruner, who has written many books and essays that I've read on the Civil War reconstruction and the aftermath thereof, is an emeritus professor of history at Columbia University, and he's the author of The Second Founding, How the Civil War and Reconstruction Remade Our Constitution. He says, the 14th Amendment added to the Constitution in the wake of the Civil War has been back in the news of late mostly because the Supreme Court has taken aim at past decisions, notably Roe versus Wade, that it employed to protect America's liberties. The amendment remains the most significant addition to the Constitution since the adoption of the Bill of Rights. It's magnificently in its first section established a principle of birthright citizenship and prohibited states from denying to any person the equal protection of the law, laying the foundation for many of the rights Americans prize. Long forgotten provisions of the 14th Amendment are suddenly crying out for enforcement. Section 2 provides for a reduction in the number of representatives allocated to states that deny the right to vote to any male citizen. Today, this penalty would also apply to the disenfranchisement of women as well. Even at the height of the Jim Crow era, when millions of African Americans were prevented from voting, this penalty was never imposed. But with many states seriously limiting voting rights today, its time may have come. Section 3 bars any public official from public office who undertook an oath to support the Constitution and subsequently participated or encouraged insurrection. The events of January 6, 2021 have focused new attention on this stipulation, which would be applied to participants in the uprising who previously held military, political, or judicial positions, including the former president, Donald Trump. Then there's Section 4, which offers a way out of the current impasse over increasing the debt ceiling. The validity of the public debt of the United States, it declares, shall not be questioned. What were those who wrote, debated, and ratified this provision trying to accomplish? The section arose from political conflicts over the Civil War and its how it had been financed. To pay the war's enormous costs, Congress printed legal tender, greenbacks, and raised taxes to unprecedented heights and authorized the sale of hundreds of millions of dollars of interest-bearing bonds. Nearly all the law authorizing the issuance of the bonds specified that the government would redeem the notes in gold. The one exception was the act related to something called 520 bonds. They were redeemable in five years and payable in full in 20, but it was silent on how the money would be repaid. 
This oversight, to quote a historian, led directly to a decade of intense and exacerbating conflict. Democrats fought to score political points by demanding that the 520s be repaid in paper money, which had been devalued and deteriorated constantly and not be repaid in gold. It would have constituted an enormous unearned windfall, they said, for banks and large investors who had purchased these bonds with greenbacks to receive gold from the government. Who has asked the question to change the Constitution for the benefit of bondholders? And this is what they they debated about. They wanted to pay it back in paper, and uh, they got sued by the bondholders. They wanted to be paid back in gold. And so this is the, the idea that the 520s in Greenback was closely identified with a prominent Virginia family and a vice presidential candidate in 1864 who hoped to ride his way to the White House by, you know, having basically the uh, people who had financed the war get gypped. (laughs) Section four was the Republicans' response. While the language is certainly bizarre, (laughs) I'm not going to use the term that was used here, then the historical context makes its purpose clear. In the Reconstruction Act of 1867, Congress began the nation's first large experiment in interracial democracy, granting the right to vote to African-American men in all the former Confederate states except Tennessee. This propelled Republicans to control the government throughout the South. But Republicans feared that at some time in the future, former Confederates might again rise to power. Their congressional representatives might join with Northern Democrats in repudiating all or part of the national debt while honoring the Confederate one. This latter possibility was explicitly prohibited by Section 4. The nation needs needed to be made safe from Um, Traitors, declared Representative James Ashley, who was a Republican from Ohio, safe from repudiation. The 14th Amendment would help accomplish these goals. Whatever one thinks of the Civil War's fiscal policy, the amended language is mandatory and not permissive. The validity of the public debt shall not be questioned. Today, over a century and a half later, After the amendment's ratification, this promise is no longer considered to be an extraordinary guarantee. It is essential to a modern economy. Our Constitution is not self-enforcing. The 14th Amendment concludes by empowering Congress to carry out its provisions. But if the current House of Representatives abdicates its responsibility, throwing the nation into default by refusing to raise the debt limit, President Biden should act on his own, taking the steps to ensure that the federal government meets its financial obligations as the Constitution requires and as he is empowered to do under Article 2, Section 1. So once again, what can we do? I say we can contact our senators and our congressional representatives. If you don't know who they are, you could go to congress.gov forward slash member forward slash find your member, put in your home address, 
and both of your senators and your representatives will pop up and then you can contact them by phone or by email and let them know, especially if you're a senior surviving on Social Security, you can't afford to have Congress dilly dally with your money. You need it to survive. So we're going to leave it there for now. But as always, in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws used by our government to keep us in good economic stead for our entire country's greater good. So bye for now. I'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.